Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Will you join with me in prayer? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In undergrad, I had a professor who said that people never change. That they always are the same. I took exception to that statement. I have seen people change for good or for bad throughout my life. In particular, I believe that that belief that, that people can change is an integral Christian belief. That God can help us change for the better. When I first began seminary, a lot of people came up to me and said, please don't ever change. My answer often was, if I don't want to be changed, then what am I doing there? <laughs> if I don't want my relationship with God to be deepened, and I don't want knowledge to grow, then I think I'm wasting my time. <laughs> A lot of change happened to me while I was in seminary, and my understanding of the world opened up in a lot of excellent ways. Perhaps one of the most impactful ways that I changed following seminary was understanding of my gender. Um, previously, I hadn't really thought about it at all, except that I wasn't entirely certain that I agreed with the concept of me being male. Uh, later, though, I discovered more about myself, and I learned that was 
uh, that I was being in the process of being transfigured from being male to being non-binary. Change whether it's on a personal level or a societal level or on a spiritual level is possible. Change is possible. I'd like to take a moment to talk about Transfiguration Sunday. If you're not familiar with Transfiguration Sunday, that's okay. I think it's important to discuss, at least briefly. Now, you may not have heard of it because it's a relatively newer holiday, or holy day, in our Western calendar. It only became part of the Western Christian calendar in 1457 by order of Pope Callistus III. Due to it being a rather newly appointed holy day on the calendar during the Reformation, it was not put on all calendars. However, by this point, it is on most church calendars and is observed both in the Methodist and in the Disciples' tradition. But what is Transfigur Transfiguration Sunday? Well, Transfiguration Sunday commemorates when Jesus went up the mountain with his disciples, and in the presence of Moses and Elijah, was transfigured. It leads into Jesus talking about his own mortality, in other words, death, which is something that we consider both in Jesus and ourselves during Lent. It is also observed as a time to think of ourselves as transfigured, changed with Christ lifting ourselves closer to divinity in an effort to accept the strength from God to take up our own crosses and follow Jesus. One of the things that I love about living in Portland is that mountains are literally in our backyard. I don't know. Even a bad day is a good one if I can see a mountain. Growing up, my family would often go to the Rockies to go camping and hiking, being ordained in what was the, and then the Montana region, now Northern Lights, and being able to take a 15-minute drive or less from almost anywhere in Missoula and being in the middle of the mountains to just relax and recharge was something that I really missed until moving to Portland. There's something about being able to go hiking, cresting a mountain, and look back on where we've come from and where we might go to. It's something spiritual and, for me, deeply holy. It's something that I try to embody in my daily living as well. In the examine by St. Ignatius, one is encouraged to become aware of the presence of the divine. Look back at the day with gratitude to pay close attention to one's emotions. Consider one part of the day and then pray about it. And then look forward to tomorrow. This is the sort of thing that I feel is important in reviewing mountaintop experiences we might have as well. In mountaintop experiences, we might feel the absolute holiness of a place. We might be caught up in the spiritual feeling of it. Apparently, there has been a revival going on in Kentucky for the last week, and I imagine those who are a part of it are feeling very heightened. 
And yet, if they aren't careful, then they won't know how to come down from it and may experience what I usually refer to as a spiritual crash. Working up to that mountaintop experience, I feel, is important. Preparing oneself to be open to where the spirit is calling. But if one is not careful, coming down can lead right to despair. Tempting also is to stay on that mountain. To stay right at that hidden point. That's certainly what Peter, who Jesus has had declared prior to this scripture, on this rock I will build my church, though as an advisor, uh, as my advisor rather, in seminary uh, said, that had more to do with Peter's head being full of rocks than anything else. Anyway, Peter had declared a desire to stay on the mountain, to build dwelling places for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. That's not what Jesus wants, though. That's not what God declares when God says that we should listen to Jesus. I'd like to take a moment to consider why Moses and Elijah are up the mountain with Jesus and the disciples. I think it does a couple things. It makes resurrection real. In a passage that is bookended by death, Jesus predicting his death prior to the mountaintop experience and Jesus predicting his death after the mountaintop experience, I think it's really important that Moses and Elijah, who have been dead for a long time now, are pictured with Jesus at the top of the mountain. In the moments of death, there are moments of resurrection, of new life. Moreover, I think it's important that these figures, Moses, who is known for the spirit of the law, who represents God's truth and law, and Elijah, who is known for speaking truth to power and listening for the still, silent voice of God, are the ones who appear with Jesus. Now, certainly one might make an argument that this is also pointing towards Jesus as the new Moses and the new Elijah, but I don't think that's necessary, and I believe that it veers dangerously towards supersessionism or replacement theology, uh, which is a whole different sermon, and I'm not going to get into it right now, but suffice to say, it's an anti-Semitic theology that I don't think is appropriate and certainly isn't something that we should be reading into here. Instead, I think it's powerful to think of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus as a beloved council of theological powerhouses, each representing new possibility and new change, both for people in their lifetimes and people right here and right now. It is not lost on me that a religious court must comprise of three respected leaders, and here we have just such leaders. No wonder, Peter wanted to just stay and hang out with them. In addition to the absolute spiritual heightening, the, mount, uh, the mountaintop experience of being up the mountain and witnessing this amazing 
change that Jesus was undertaking alongside the most amazing of historic and spiritual figures that would have been known to them. This is happening six days after Jesus proclaims that anyone who wants to follow him must pick up their cross and follow. Follow into what is almost certain death. Yet this is the only place in the Gospels that something happens after six days. What else happens after the sixth day? Moses was with God for six days and then given the word of God. In Genesis, humanity is created on the sixth day. These six days are of preparation. And the sixth day is one of ultimate preparation. It is not Jesus' divinity that is celebrated in his transfiguration, but rather his humanity. Planning, preparation, time in prayer, these are things that are needed to have change truly occur. In the months to come, we will be engaging in wrestling with important questions as we discover where we want our church to go and what changes we'd like to see happen. To have change, one must have that time of preparation. But change is possible. Sacrifice is often necessary to see change happen. While Moses and Elijah are easy to talk about, they are right here in this scripture. I think there's a third scripture story that is under the text. That story is of Abraham and Isaac. For those who might not be familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac, it is a story that is intended to show that God was a different sort of God that did not ask for human sacrifices. And in particular, did not ask for child sacrifices. So, to show that God doesn't ask for child sacrifices, God's going to ask for a child sacrifice. (laughs) God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham, being an obedient sort of guy, takes his son up the mountain. Again, we're going up the mountain. Much like Jesus took his disciples up a mountain, sets about making an altar for God, and was about ready to sacrifice Isaac when God sent an angel to stop Abraham from completing the sacrifice. I think it's a little garish and kind of a um, dark way of showing that, uh, showing the world that the God of Abraham doesn't want human sacrifices, and this has been misunderstood by people across the theological spectrum. But the point was that God didn't want that kind of sacrifice. Maybe God should just have said, I don't want that kind of sacrifice, but people learn through examples, so here we are. (laughs) Here Jesus is saying that people will have to sacrifice their lives if they want to follow him. Jesus tries to make the reality of the revolutionary life that Jesus is teaching them very clear. Sometimes we are asked to sacrifice things we might not be ready to. But ultimately, 
if it is in pursuing the way that Jesus shows us, then it will help the unhoused. It will feed the hungry. Life will come from it. That's the kind of sacrifice God wants. In the news lately, there have been two different stories. And I'd like you to consider them. One, on one front, there were people who spent millions of dollars for a commercial about Jesus gets us. On the other hand, there was a Pakistani man living in the United States who donated and donated $30 million to earthquake victims in Turkey and also Syria. So my question is, Jesus might get us, but who do you think gets Jesus? Change is possible, but it starts with us, and it often starts with what we're willing to sacrifice. I'd like to close with a simple thought. It's a bit less about change and more about how I view the divinity of Christ. I feel that our theological views should be open to change. Mine can change on a fairly regular basis. To be very honest, uh, there are times when my view of Christ is with a very high Christology, wherein I view Christ as entirely human and entirely divine, which I think the transfiguration of Christ highly celebrates. There are also times when, uh, where I view Christ as primarily human, who was divine in the manner that we are all divine, endowed with divinity from the Creator who has named us all their child. I believe that there is room for the table for all of us. Regardless of whether your view is more Unitarian or Trinitarian, change can be hard. It can also be very easy. And while at times it may seem like a flip-flopping of religious belief, I think it's better to consider it as a sort of wave and to follow as the Spirit leads. Amen.